0: Most years, I resolve to improve my daily Bible reading. And I didn't say this. This is actually um, a quote from Dr. Brian Rosner, a New Testament scholar and author and the principal of Ridley College. And I think it kind of echoes what I've felt for a long time. And every year, I make resolutions. You make resolutions maybe to eat healthier. You make resolutions to um, sleep more. Maybe make resolutions, to spend more time with your family, or to go on a diet, or an exercise plan. But amongst all of that, I think, we, I, I always kind of resolve to improve my daily Bible reading. So this morning, we're going to be touching on that as we head into 2024, and hopefully it's something that's on your mind. Hello, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm Mike Santoro. I'm the elder of missions and church planning here at Living Hope Church. My wife Rachel and I and our three kids,'ve uh, we've, attend- we've been members here for uh, almost 11 years now and we've been married for 13 years. so we've had the blessing of having a majority of our marriage uh, to be blessed by this congregation and this church and it's been uh, amazingly fruitful to our family. Um, many of you might know that I'm aspiring to be a church planter myself. And a, just a quick progress report. Um, I just finished my fifth class, praise God, in in uh, part-time in seminary. And uh, it was hard. It was hard, but I got through it. And I'm thankful for that. Um, Lord willing, maybe 2027, we'll be planning a church out of Living Hope into uh, maybe northern York County, somewhere around Conewago Township. Um, and um, I, even, I joke with Tim um, that I already have a name for the church. I said, I want to call it In the Word Church. And so you can see by the name of this sermon, you know, Stand Firm in the Word, how important this is to my heart. And I kind of think that, you know, Lord willing, if that happens, and if we're just taking one step at a time faithfully forward right now, but if that happens, Lord willing, um, I would like to preach a sermon kind of like this one today. And so you may are getting kind of like a preview today, if you will. Maybe this is like a sneak peek, all right, into... Uh, into what a church plant, a first service at a church plant might be three years from now. Um, so that's at least where my heart is. All right, so what is the problem? Why are we addressing this? Um, there is a, an organization that does a report every year we could put up there. This is called the State of the Bible Report. It's done every single year. Let's go one slide back if we can. The State of the Bible is done by the American Bible Society. And for the last 13 years, they have assessed... Uh, Bible engagement in the USA. How much people are reading, and they do all sorts of research to determine how uh, things are tracking every year. And if you look at some of these statistics here on the next slide, uh, hopefully you can see some of it. So you'll see here, all the way on the left, it's 2011, and it goes all the way to 2023. What I want you to notice is, this is Bible reading amongst adult Americans Starting in 2021, it was around it was 50% for most of the time, uh, most of the last 11 years or so, but then it dropped off steeply in 2022 and 2023 to about 39%. This is Americans who they, they define as Bible users. A Bible user, as they define it, is someone that opens up the Bible on their own th- at least three times a year, at least three times a year. So, somewhere around 40% of Americans open up their Bible at least three times a year um, outside of a church service, excuse me, outside of a church service, so on their own. All right, now you say, well, what about people that read weekly? Well, about 25%, 24% of Americans apparently read the Bible at least once weekly outside of their church. Go to the next slide here. So, if you look at the top, you'll see here denominations. What about like evangelical Christians, okay? In that red box, 53% of evangelical Christians or evangelical Protestants will read their Bible at least once weekly, and many do so several times a week. What's noteworthy, though, is there is this... There's also... What's noteworthy is that the Northeast has the lowest numbers. So even though this number, 53%, uh, is, is about half, it's going to be a slightly less, because in this includes the South and everything else, and the South has kind of inflated numbers... So in the northeast, of the report said it was the numbers were down everywhere across the board. So I would guess in our congregation, hopefully, we're high. But without taking a survey, I would guess maybe it's 40, 50%, somewhere in that range of us are probably reading our Bibles every week. But here's the interesting uh, stat that came out. Top Bible stories of 2023. More than half of Americans wish they read the Bible more. And it says here... Uh, there's a gap between intention and action. More than half of Americans, 52% say they wish they read Scripture more, but only 1 in 7, 14%, say they've actually increased their Bible reading over the past year. So, all this to say, <clears throat> there is a slight gap here. We, we want to try to increase our Bible reading. And there's reasons why we don't increase our Bible reading. Here, there are... Three, there are, I'm going to show you the top three here, frustrations with Bible reading. This is something they um, uh, they were assessing, is what, what, are, what makes Bible reading on your own the most frustrating. So if you will play a little bit of Family Feud with me, okay, I've got uh, the top three answers on the board. I've got my little note card here. We've interviewed 100 people, and we've asked them, what are your top frustrations? And now when, we, when it dings, when, it, when it's not going to ding, I'm going to make a note Three years from now, we need the music and the dinging to emphasize here. All right. But you got to be like a good studio audience and a good participating audience. And when it spins around with the ding, the pretend ding, um, you need to kind of say what it says, right? That's what the audience does in the show. So let's say what it says. So first, let's see. What what do we think? Top 100 uh, people were were interviewed and they said, what are your top frustrations with Bible reading on your own? What do we have? Some takers? What do we think? What do we think? time no time no time no time no time let's see what the survey says not enough enough time not enough time okay that one was kind of easy right all right let's see what about number two anybody can guess number two translation what else any other guesses here number two most frustrating things what to read where to start let's see what the survey says don't know where to start All right, there's one more, one more in the top three here, one more in the top three. Any guesses? This one's a little tougher. Hard to understand, hard to comprehend. Let's see, what does the survey say? Lacks incitement about reading about it. So, that one's kind of interesting. And so today, this is what we're going to be attacking, okay? The first two are actually pretty easy. To, uh, to touch on. So we'll be touching on that at the very end. We're going to spend most of our time this morning talking about the lack of excitement about reading God's Word. Here are the two main goals. Number, goal number one today is we're going to fan the flame of love for God's Word. That's what we're going to do to generate the excitement. We're going to fan the flame of love of God's Word with God's Word. And, number, and the second goal is we're going to go through three very practical ways to rekindle your Bible reading. Three practical ways to rekindle your Bible reading. All right, we are going to be starting with Psalm 119. 119. Now, some of you might be saying, man, Mike's going deep here. Yeah, well, this is uh, deep in the Bible, Psalm 119. We're going to be looking over at verses 89 to 96 and also verses 161 to 168. Psalm 119, I'll give you a quick introduction here, is the longest chapter in the Bible and the most carefully structured chapter in the Bible. It's a huge acrostic poem. Uh, in the Hebrew, and we don't fully appreciate it in, uh, when we read it in English because it has 22 stanzas or groups with eight ver- verses in each stanza. So there's 176 total verses. It's a huge, long book. The first word of each of the eight verses in every stanza is with, uh, has the same Hebrew letter. So we don't see this in English, but in the Hebrew, it's the same Hebrew letter. So think of it like the alphabet, like in our alphabet, if you had a poem where the first eight verses, the first letter in that poem all started with A, and then the next eight verses all started with B, then the next eight verses were all started with C, and so on. In the Hebrew alphabet, there are 22 letters, so there are 22 stanzas of eight verses each. So this is really a poetic masterpiece, and its structure helped memorization, its structure helped singing, Imagine how easily a child sings like the alphabet song. You can imagine Hebrew children singing these verses because they followed the alphabet. Uh, There's no formal structure or there's no other formal structure or progressive theme in this psalm, but rather the psalm repeats themes and phrases over and over again for extra emphasis, and that repetition has this beautiful cumulative effect. One commentator said that the goal of Psalm 119 is to enable God's people to admire his word so strongly that they will work and pray hard and have it shape their character and conduct. These verses can be used to rekindle one's passion for God's word and just to pray these verses as one's own thought. This can help to fan the flame of our devotion to God. Also noteworthy about Psalm 119 is there are 178, get this, explicit mentions of God's word in 176 verses. So that means God is making a strong emphasis on the value of his word. And one more thing, Psalm 119 is not only the longest chapter in the Bible, but it's the chapter that is, the, that is longer than nearly half of the books in the Bible, in other words, there are 66 books in the entire Bible. Psalm 119, that one chapter, is longer than almost half of those 66 books. Now, why would God dedicate so much space in the Bible for such a poem? Why would he mention his word 178 times in 176 verses? The answer is he wants you to see and feel and hear, and remember that His Word is of central importance to Him, and that you should love His Word, and honor His Word, and revere His Word, and fear His Word, and cherish His Word, and put your hope in His Word, and study His Word, and meditate on His Word, and sing His Word, and obey His Word. This desire from God is undeniably clear. He wants you to make His Word a central Part of your life. And the most important ways for you to respond after receiving the gift of salvation is to love his word. So I kind of want to ask you to gather around the fire here and warm yourselves here with Psalm 119. And, as, and, and let's not just read these words, but as we read them and as I unpack them today, let's be praying them together as we read and interpret them. Because God meant this psalm and every psalm to be a prayer back to him. So let's read Psalm 119, we're going to read the first eight verses, 89 through 96. This is God's word. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad." This is God's Word. So, the first three verses here, 89 through 91, they emphasize the role that God's Word has in establishing the heavens and the earth, and the psalmist compares that to, the, to the, how the words establish and protect him personally in the other verses. So it's kind of a little bit grouped together. So in 89, God speaks His words from heaven, and His words stand firm there in heaven forever. God's words are unchanging, they're securely fixed, and they're elevated above the earth, where the earth and all its happenings cannot interfere or change it. The psalmist is drawing our attention up away from the brokenness of the world, away from the confusion of the world, the instability of this world, the dizzying effect of how fast things change in this world, and he rather wants us to slow down, look up. And grab on to the secure anchor of God's word that is fixed in heaven. In verse 90, it says, God spoke the word, God spoke the world we know into existence. And it has endured for generations upon generations only because he upholds it by his sovereign will. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to this. The Hebrews author says, He is the radiance of the glory of God, Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And what? And he upholds the universe by what? By the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. These verses, they remind us that the universe was made by the power of God's spoken word. You know the, the familiar verses in Genesis, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then what does it say? And how did he create them? By the power of his spoken word. Genesis 1.3 said, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Genesis 1.6 said, And God said, let the heaven be separated from the earth. And God said, let the dry land appear on the earth and be separated from the seas. Verse 11 in Genesis says, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation and uh, and trees and fruit. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing here. God said in verse 14, and God said, there be the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky and evening and night. Verse 20, and God said, let there be fish in the sea and birds in the air. Verse 24 says, and God said, let the animals and bugs be on the earth. And God said in, in verse 26, and God said, let, them, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. You know, God made the entire universe. Take a look at this. Do you know astronomers, they estimate that the universe can contain up to one septillion stars? One septillion. That's a one with 24 zeros afterwards. These pictures here that you see, these are some of the newest, breathtaking pictures from the James Webb Telescope, which was launched on a satellite into space in 2021, and these images are from July 2022, after this satellite was taking these pictures from 930,000 miles away from Earth. And even on the screen here, you probably can't appreciate the clarity and the depth of, this, uh, of these stars. Meanwhile, on, the teeny, teeny, on, on this teeny, teeny, tiny earth that we live in and breathe in and work in and play in, we're traveling 67,000 miles an hour in an orbit around the sun while spinning 1,000 miles an hour. Think about that. God is infinitely larger and more powerful than we can possibly imagine. And all things were created by God's faithfulness and the earth stands fast in its place in the universe all by God's sovereign will and the power of His Word. He upholds the universe by the Word of His power. Verse 91 By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. All things are your servants. God made everything and everyone, and He knows every star by name, He knows all the hairs on your head. And everyone and everything belongs to God. And all things and all people are made and designed to serve God. All things are your servants. Christian, listen to me. Listen to this reality check. This great God we're talking about, He made you. And you were made to serve Him with your whole being. You were made to love Him as your maker with all of your heart. All of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. God, help us to remember that we are yours. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. God's word, it sustains us. Without the saving power of God's word, we would have no hope of sustaining our lives. We would perish due to our pain and suffering. But when we delight in God's word, we are revived like a hearty meal. brings satisfaction and nourishment and healing to physical bodies. In Deuteronomy 8.3, when the Israelites were in the desert and hungry and God sent them, he sent them manna from heaven. When they were lost in the desert, to feed them. A literal, sweet, bread like substance floated down from heaven. Imagine this. And fed the Israelites every day. And God said in that passage, why was He feeding them from heaven in this way? So that they would know this verse right here that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And you might also be familiar with that verse that Jesus recited from Deuteronomy when the devil was tempting him in Matthew 4.4. Verse 93. I will never forget your precepts, for by them they have given me life. God's word is life-giving. But this wording here is better translated you have, you have revived me and given me life. This is the sense, the, the spiritual refreshing. It's a lift. It's a new lease on life. It's relating more to this enlivening of one's spirit when you feel down and discouraged and depressed. A benefit of God's word is that it brings you back to life. It revives you like charging a battery back to full charge, right? You have those electronic toys that you got, like those cars that the kids got for Christmas. And they go, and they go, and they go, and then all of a sudden, they get slower, and slower, and slower, and slower. And they need to be recharged, and re- revived up. That's what this, uh, this word is going for. The psalmist, he's also making a pledge in this verse from his heart out of thanksgiving. He's thankful for this, his saved life, and he says, I will never forget your precepts. Let me ask you something. If somebody literally saved your life, what would be your most natural response? What do do they do in the movies too? Thank you so much for saving my life. Oh my gosh, Um, I will never forget you. How can I ever repay you? That, That kind of sentiment, that's what it is here. God, your word has saved my life. I will never forget it. Verse 94, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. In this verse, the genuineness of the psalmist's faith is evidenced by the fact that he seeks God's word with care and investigates God's precepts in order to understand them. Precepts are, uh, there's a couple of different words that are used in these passages that are talking about God's word. Precepts is what God has ordained to be done. These are like God's rules, okay? But it really is also generally talking about God's word. He's crying out, the psalmist, in prayer that he is true in his commitment and his faith and he's, as a faithful follower. And his love for God's word is the proof of that. So Jesus also reiterates this that the, the proof that your faith is sincere, is authentic, is genuine, is by how much you love his commandments. Take a look at John chapter 14. Jesus said to his disciples here. The very words of Jesus, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus answered him in verse twenty-three here, skipping ahead. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and I will and, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me, does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not of mine, but it's my Father who sent me. Jesus and the psalmist are saying the same thing. The evidence of the genuineness of your faith is that you will love and obey God's word. Verse 95, The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. This is saying, God, saved me from evil. Save me from Satan. Save me from temptations of the world, all the threats around me. Verse 96 I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. This means everything in this world that seems perfect and good has an end. Isn't that so true? You know the phrase, all good things come to an end? Well, yes, in this world that is, that's true. All good things come to an end, and it's sad. But this verse tells us that God's word lasts forever. And it echoes and reiterates what was said in verses 89 to 91. God's word stands firm forever. First Peter, um, 1 Peter one twenty three. it's not going to be on the screen, but he says to us, Peter says to us, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, And then he quotes from Isaiah, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass wither and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Everything in this world is going to perish, but the word of our Lord remains forever. So, hopefully these verses, as we've been talking about them and saying them. We've been praying them as we've been saying them. And hopefully this is uh, stirring up and fanning the flame of God's, of loving God's word and getting excited about God's word in your heart. I want to go through uh, some more verses here, 161 to 168. So if you have a paper Bible, skip ahead a little bit, a page. And let's continue to fan the flame. Hang with me because it, it does get better. It gets even better. So we're going to read 161 to 168. I love hearing the rustling of the pages, by the way. All right. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord. and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. Verse 161, this is saying, Lord, I humbly fear your word more than anything or any threat. Even if I'm persecuted unjustly by, by before rulers, that pales, the psalmist says, in comparison to your word. In other words, I fear more disobeying your word than I do versus disobeying uh, what, what, what some worldly authority can say to me even if it's unjust verse 162 says that's a beautiful verse i rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil uh, spoil is an interesting word it's it's like plundered goods uh, treasure um, this the psalmist is saying like i it's like finding a great treasure or um finding something that this is something that you haven't earned like someone else has won a battle and you get the reward you get the valuable goods that are left behind it's that kind of joy and elation that God's words bring joy if you're looking for a reason to embrace and to love God's word more know that it will bring you joy and so much joy in your heart verse 163 I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. I don't love things that are false. We are called not to love things that are false. And so we ask God to help us hate the things that he hates and love the things that he loves. Verse 164. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. This is referring to the continual habit of prayer at every opportunity not literally seven times a day, but just meaning constantly and always, we should be praying to the Lord. And we can do this in so many ways. Right? Prayers don't have to be long. They can be short. They can be one word. God help, or two words. God help me. Three words. They can be, um, you, can, you can praise God seven times a day. By, I, I encourage you, put Christian music on in your homes. Um, let it play through your smart speakers. Uh, let it always be going through your mind. That you continue to meditate on it. Um, When you are, um, yeah, when you wake up and you open your eyes, thank the Lord. When you go to bed, thank the Lord. Yeah, keep praying at all times. Verse one sixty-five. This is my favorite verse. It says here very clearly, "Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble." the csb translates this verse even better in my opinion um it's it's abundant peace this is that word here for it's not great is how it's translated in the esv but all everything points to the word abundant it's abundant peace belongs to those who love your instruction nothing makes them stumble is how it's said in the christian standard bible translation abundant peace is the most desirable need of our day is it not there's no peace around the world there's wars right now in ukraine and israel economic strain with high interest rates and high inflation. Our media and YouTube consumption is dizzying. Political unrest heading into an election year will be far from peaceful. There will be so much division in our country this year and we need to pray deeply for the unity of our country and the stability of our leaders. Maybe you're a student right now. You know, school can be pretty intense. Maybe you're desiring to be married and God has... No, not brought the right person. You could feel discouraged or depressed or impatient or unsettled. If you're in the midst of a job change maybe or you're relocating your house, there's a lot of change and it's hard to manage. Maybe maybe you're losing sleep at night because your mind can't rest. You can't sleep because you're unsettled. Your heart uh, is so unsettled it's thinking about so many things. Or you're worried about a loved one or maybe someone that's suffering. Or maybe you are going through some suffering right now in a season of sickness and pain and Maybe you don't even know the answers. Maybe the doctors can't, can't figure it out. They don't know how to help you. Maybe, maybe you have to wait for more and more testing and pray and wait for more and more testing. Or maybe you're in a season of life where your family is so busy, everyone feels chaotic, the house is a mess, your kids are fighting with each other, you're running at them not to sports and activities all the time, you wake up in the middle of the night and they're calling your name, you can't even have peace in the middle of the night. This happened to us last night. So my wife sometimes feels this way often. you know, During, during the busy holiday season, um, she was reading an Advent devotional. And um, one morning she was finished reading her devotional and she just closed her book in jest and she said, these Advent devotionals, they're always about peace. Finding peace, resting in peace, enjoying peace. And then she said, I'm sorry, Mr. Tripp there's no peace around here where's the peace so maybe you're feeling this right way right now in whatever situation you're in if you're feeling like i have no peace i have no rest i have no hope whatever chaos or trials life is throwing at you right now you need to hear this abundant peace belongs to those who love god's word and nothing can make them stumble Do you want abundant peace in your life? Do you want the security of knowing that whatever obstacles or trials you face, you can stand firm and not stumble? Then stand stand firm on the forever, firmly fixed, unchangeable Word of God. My friend Isaac Pickney in our congregation here, he has a great story about his grandfather. I believe he was a, a long-time pastor and he always had this motto. Uh, that he always said, keep looking up. The grandfather always told everyone, keep looking up, keep looking up. Um, I think Isaac actually has it tattooed on his wrist, so he doesn't forget it. You know, because keep looking up, because that is where God is. And it's a reminder to keep looking to the Lord. But I say to you today, not only should you be keep looking up vertically, but you should also be keep looking up God's word like keep looking things up in God's Word. Keep your Bible open in your homes. I encourage you, there's something beautiful about the Word of God laid open on a table. And the open open Bible will be read more often than a closed Bible. So keep looking up at God's Word and you will have abundant peace. And pray to the Lord that he will secure you in such a way that it surpasses all understanding, as Paul says in Philippians 4, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Good Christian, I implore you, open your Bibles and keep them open in your homes so that God's word may be read in your homes, may be read by your families, and so that you may have abundant peace. But there's a little more here. So take a look at this. The word peace here in this verse is the, word, the Hebrew word shalom. It means peace, but it's a hearty peace, okay? It it means to make complete, to restore. It's this idea of wholeness and well-being. It's not just the kind of peace that's the absence of violence or suffering, but it's an emphasis on the presence of something greater, a greater good, a restorative and wholesome state of being. That is shalom. And this shalom is mentioned many times in the Old Testament, but I want to show you that Jesus is right here in this text, Listen to this prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, which we hear so much during Christmas time. Pay close attention to these familiar words. It says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom, and of the increase of his government, and of Shalom. There will be no end. Jesus is called the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace, and there will be no end to the Shalom that He brings. The peace He brings will be an everlasting and firmly fixed peace in heaven. Does that not give you great hope? That Jesus is the Prince of Shalom and His peace will have no end. Pastor Matt, he reminded us a few weeks ago when he taught a message called The Gift of Peace during our Advent series. And during that series, he reminded us, and I remind you today again, that Jesus also said he would give us this peace. Take a look at John 14, 27. Jesus said, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Our verse this morning says, Abundant peace have those who love your word. And Jesus is the word that became flesh, so that we can say abundant peace belongs to those who love Jesus. Jesus can, came to restore shalom with God. And your relationship with God can be restored through trusting in the prince of shalom as your lord and savior. Your sins can be washed white as snow because Jesus, the word of God, came down from heaven and is firmly from its firmly fixed position in heaven above and Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and mine. He died on the cross. He rose again so that we can be restored again in right relationship with God the Father. And this is only by grace and through faith. In these last verses, here in our passage, 167, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. You see, obeying God's word is not the cause of our salvation. This is important. It's not do these commandments and then you will be saved. No, rather this verse is emphasizing it's, it's receive the gift of salvation and then respond with love and affection and appreciation for that gift by loving and cherishing God's word and treasuring God's word. It's all in a response to the great gift of salvation. God in His great mercy and His loving kindness towards us did not just give us restoration, but He also revives us with His Word. He sustains us with His Word, and He gives us joy and peace with His Word. And He gave us this gift as the written Word, which also teaches us how we ought to live and love Him and love others and serve others. And the gift of the written Word of the Bible will also give you, again, joy, and abundant peace. Lastly, in these last couple of verses, stability. The God's word will give us stability and a hope for the future. And the love for God's word, it goes right down to the deepest core of one's being, is how this psalmist ends. So, to recap. We, um, we had a couple goals for this message. The one was to fan the flame of love for God's Word. That was because, uh, number three, we were talking about um, the frustrations with the Bible were that we we can't generate, there's not enough excitement to read it. So hopefully you've, you felt this morning a little fan of your flame to love God's Word by His Word. And uh, the second part that I wanted to cover, and we're going to do so very shortly here, is three practical ways to rekindle your Bible. So you say... Great, Mike, you just shared why and the what, but how about give me some how? I need some practical how. All right, so here is your practical how. Let's go to the next verse. What, what, um, what I'd like to share with you are three very practical ways that you can, um, and these are parting gifts for playing our game today, three practical ways that you can engage with God's word daily. The first one I want to share with you is a bookmark here. Called the Jesus 31 bookmark. Some of the men in our congregation will recognize this. A few years ago I made this and shared it with some of our men at our um, men's retreat. And what this is, is it's a bookmark that has three different things. It has the miracles of Jesus divided up into 31 days. It has the parables of Jesus divided up into 31 days. And it also has the Sermon on the Mount divided up into 31 days. So if you, so we, And we're starting here in these recommendations that I'm sharing. We're starting from kind of the least intense to maybe the most intense. So in this, um, in this Jesus 31 bookmark, it can stay right in your Bible. You don't need anything else. You don't need a fancy app. You don't need a reading plan. You don't need a checklist. You just need this little bookmark. And you need to know what day of the calendar it is. So today is the 7th. So I'm going to go to number 7. If I was reading the miracles of Jesus, today I'd be reading Matthew 9, 1 to 8. And, it says, and this is when Jesus heals the paralytic uh, who was let down from the roof and if you were reading one of the other lists um, you might be reading the Sermon on the Mount and number 7 would be um, Matthew 5 and it would be about telling the truth so this is a great um, tool to help build a habit um, one of the markers of building a habit is to, um, is to make the habit very easy and make it um, take away all friction So, in the sense, you're only reading a few verses. It's all spelled out. All you need is the bookmark in your Bible. And this is great if you want to just create a habit, read a few verses, spend some time in prayer. This will help you do it every day. This is great for someone who, um, if you want to start doing family worship with your family, uh, this is great to pull out after dinner or after a meal and be able to go through. You don't need any extra prep. You're going to read a few verses and and, uh, and, and you can talk about it, pray about it uh, afterwards. Uh, this is also great for someone who 's newer and maybe doesn 't you know want something that you know to help them get into the word a little bit understand who jesus is it 's a great bookmark here for it. Um, you can pick this up on the back table along with some of the other resources that i 'll be sharing so that one 's kind of the first recommendation. Um, the second one is a navigator 's plan called the New Testament five by five plan um, and it looks like this and it 's a little pamphlet. And it does have uh, the uh, passages here. But we were talking about, like, not having enough time is one of the main reasons, right? Well, you know, the Jesus 31 bookmark, it won't take you very much time to go through a few verses. But get this, guys. We always talk, you might hear about reading through the Bible in a year. Well, this five-by-five five New Testament plan, the idea here is five minutes a day, five days a week, and you can get through the entire New Testament in one year. You might be saying, No, 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 that can't be right. Yes, it is. Uh, each chapter of the New Testament takes no more than five or six minutes to read. Most chapters you can even read in three or four minutes because uh, they're pretty short. So you read for about five minutes, and if you do that five days a week for uh, for an entire year, you will get through the entire New Testament. And this kind of gives you a plan for how to read through uh, that uh, those uh, what order to read through. So so the the answer to the question of I don't know where to start is right here. Um, in this plan. It's a really good plan. I've done this one many times. I really commend it. If you've never done like a Bible in the Year plan and you always wanted to do one, this is a really good one to start. Read through the whole New Testament in a year. And it's not even so much that you can't um, add other things to it. If it wasn't enough for you, you can add other things to it. All right. And lastly, um, I'm really proud of this one. And I have to shout out to Michelle Cosma because she helped make these beautiful bookmarks here. that are on the back table, one for the New Testament, one for the Old Testament, and one for the Psalms. And this last plan is called the, um, the three bookmark plan. And before I share the main emphasis of this plan, I'll just say that there are so many Bible reading plans out there that you'll kind of get dizzied by them. There are many, many, many good plans, and if you're already on a good plan, and you want to read through the Bible in a year, and you like a plan, stick with it. The machine plan is great. There's one plan that's like 10 chapters a day. A lot of plans are like four chapters a day, and you kind of read through different portions of Scripture. They're all great, but one of the challenges that everyone, I think, has with these scripted out plans, read exactly these chapters every day, is that you get behind uh, you know, all of a sudden you look up in February or March, and you're like, "How did I get five days behind? How did I get ten days behind? Oh my gosh, I'm 15 days behind. I'm never going to catch up." And you get discouraged, and and sometimes you just say, hey, "Well, I'm, I'm going to try to find something else. This isn't working." So this particular idea here, I think, it solves that problem. And what it is is it's three bookmarks, and basically, um, it's actually Dr. Uh, Rosner, the quote in the beginning of the of the uh, uh, of the message. It was his plan. Um, And we just made some bookmarks for it. Um, So you basically put one one bookmark in the New Testament, one bookmark in the Old Testament, and one bookmark in the Psalms. And the goal is to read, is to move those bookmarks every day. Move at least one bookmark a day. And what I like about this plan is there's freedom in it. Each of the the bookmarks also had had a suggested reading list that you can check off. So like the Old Testament, it gives you a list of the different books and what order to read them in. It's based on the Hebrew Bible order. And then the New Testament is mostly grouped by author. So that kind of answers the where-do-I-start question. And what's beautiful about this method, and what I like about it so much, and why I I commend it to you, is because, you know, you're not scripted. You know, you don't fall behind. There's no guilt. Uh, If you're reading through some gripping narrative in the Old Testament, um, and there's um, there's a great story, and you want to keep reading, you keep reading. Uh, if you're going... I'm actually going to ask the worship team to come up. I forgot to say that before I started here. Um, as we close. And so if you're reading through a gripping story in the Old Testament, you love it, just keep reading. You don't have to stop because the reading plan says you should stop and go to another chapter. Or if you're... You might, read through, you might be reading Colossians. you would be like, well, this is great. I'm going to read the whole letter of Colossians. And maybe that might take you 20 minutes. Um, and so you're going to do that that day. And you're going to move that bookmark a few ways down. Uh, or... Uh, maybe you're reading a psalm, and, and this verse, abundant peace, belongs to those who love your life. Maybe you're just going to meditate on that verse the entire day. And you didn't read a lot in your Bible that day, but you spent time praying over one verse. This plan gives you that freedom to to basically have that flexibility as the Spirit leads you. Um, and oh, and the last point, I think, which is really cool, is the the 5 by 15. Get this. Rather than having to read so many chapters a day, if you just read 15 minutes a day, five days a week, and you keep moving those bookmarks, you will get through the entire Bible in a year. And that's just based on an average person's reading speed, 200 words per minute. Trust me, I did the math, I didn't put it up there. But if you read 200 words per minute, which is pretty slow, and you read for just 15 minutes a day, and you move different bookmarks, and some days you read a little bit more, and some days you read a little bit less. You will read through the entire Bible in a year. And I think that's kind of exciting. So I commend you and I encourage you to, uh, to grab these on the back table and uh, make sure you grab three if you're grabbing the bookmarks and grab some to share with friends and family as well. And Thank you, God, for your word.